Church, I believe that this pandemic has brought the best out of us. I've seen you serve in so many ways. Just for you to have an idea, in the last four weeks, we've been able to open two food distribution centers here in Miami where we've been able to feed hundreds of families. Uh, also, we've been able to send relief funds to Recife, Brazil, in partnership with our church there, and we've been able to feed over 5,000 families. Uh, just this week, we also send resources to buy food in Cuba to feed pastors and their families in the east part of the country. And most recently, we have sent relief to buy 1.5 tons of food and 60 hygiene kits for families who live in horrible conditions in the favelas of Sao Paulo. So will you watch this video? Hi, I'm Pastor Robson from Igreja Presbiteriana de Perdizes and I'm here to thank Presbyterian Church and Perdizes for their support. Together, we donated more than 1.5 tons of food and today more than 60 families received personal hygiene products to help them contain the coronavirus pandemic. This is a wonderful action. Because we see the Word of God and the good deeds working together. This is the gospel and the city, the good news walking along the streets. Our church has been working here for two years and our challenge is for the community to have hope in the one who is the true and the real food for our souls. We'll keep in fighting for this place. It's our mission and together we can be more efficient and go even further for the glory of Christ. So. I want to say thank you so much. Thank you, Upper Jesus, and thank you, Crossbridge Church. Church, it is because of your faithful commitment during this season that we've been able to go above and beyond and meet the physical needs of those who are here in Miami, in the Caribbean, and South America. For those of you who have been faithful to Crossbridge during this season, thank you very much. Keep it going. Uh, there's more that the Lord wants to do through us. And for those of you who are hesitant during the season because the future is unknown, that's understandable. But I'd like to read a scripture to encourage you today. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, including this time, you may abound in every good work. God has vowed to take care of our needs in this season. And here's what I believe. I believe that the people that are able to rearrange their priorities during this season and are able uh, to exercise radical generosity in the season will be the ones that will grow the most, will experience the most joy out of this season. So today I want to invite you to give. Uh, you can either click on the link there in the comment section that it's being made available to you right now, or you can go to our website and click on the Give tab, choose your campus, and give that way as well. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful for your generosity that's been demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. Father, you spared nothing in order to meet our spiritual need. Uh, and Father, allow us therefore to align ourselves to the reality of the cross so that we may give generously as well. 
And may we reap a harvest of joy out of this season, Father. Father, I pray that uh, the leadership of this church would be able to steward these resources well and that these resources would be multiplied to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of others, especially during this season. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Freedom, a beautiful word. Longed for today more than ever. And now, what will you do? Will you fight or retreat? When challenges are set before you, will you lead with faith or by sight? Will you act with both kindness and courage? With might and compassion? See a king through the eyes of a child who finds beauty in brokenness and strength and weakness. A great king wields both the heart and sword. Find hope in a king that reveals the true path of victory. Well, welcome, Crossbridge family. Uh, welcome to our online experience. My name is Sam. I'm the Miami Springs pastor, and joining me today is our lead pastor, Carter Brown. This is week two of Harp and Sword. We're going to be talking about courage and looking into arguably one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, David and Goliath. And so if you have your Bibles, you can already take them out and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Carter, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're going to uh, be doing some interviews. We've, we've got some interviews lined up during the week of, of some of our own people that we reached out to who's displaying a little bit of courage in the midst of this crisis. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the interviews that you all are going to get to see here in a little bit. Uh, but to just kind of set us up for what we're going to see in the passage regarding courage, we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, as you said, Sam, and we see two armies. Uh, they're on either side of a valley known as the Valley of Elah. And on one side, you have Israel that is closest to Jerusalem up on the, the valley ridge. And then on the other side of the valley, you have their mortal enemies, the Philistines. And they are seafaring people, and they are facing off against Israel. Now, they're at a gridlock because neither army wants to advance upon the other because to do so would be foolish. You would be exposing yourself as you walked through the valley floor, and the other army on top of the ridge could just rain down arrows upon you. And so they're sitting there, stuck, gridlocked, and the Philistines decide to send out a champion or a warrior to fight on their behalf. Now, this is very common in ancient times. It was known as single combat, where an army would send out their greatest fighter to fight the greatest fighter of the other army so that you wouldn't have all of the bloodshed. And so this fighter comes out, his name is Goliath, and he's a towering and terrifying figure. And Israel is now supposed to send out their champion, their warrior, and they send no one. They wait for days and days and days, and they're terrified. Nobody wants to go against Goliath. Everyone believes that they will surely die. And then we pick up with a young boy, a shepherd boy named David, who volunteers himself to fight. And this passage is a passage of courage. We see that courage requires faith, but not blind faith, not faith where you just hope and you're just trying to be strong and you're trying to be positive. 
but faith directed at God's truth and his promises. Faith that is believing that you are prepared to combat fear and that God's purpose conquers giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in a season of crisis. It, it, it feels like we're all in, in, a, in a season of gridlock. And a yeah. lot of the language that I hear today about the church is, you know, how's the church going to endure this crisis? What's the church going to look like after yep. this crisis? Uh, but at Crossbridge, we and Felipe and, and the team, we've been looking at this. We've been talking a little bit different at Crossbridge and looking at this season as a catalyst, mm-hmm. a season of change. Uh, whether we like it or not, we're all going to look different at the end of the season. I don't know what that's going to look like. But as a church, we need to continue to think critically on how to respond uh, proactively, how to respond productively, how to keep our eyes fixed on the gospel mission as the rest of the world looks inward into self-protect mode, you know, fearful, legitimately, legitimately yeah. afraid. And so it's in this same spirit that I reached out to some of our members uh, and I interviewed them. I interviewed them and, um, and I asked them, some of them were first responders. I asked them this one catalytic question. I asked them, how do you prepare to face your fear? How do you prepare to face your giant uh, uh, while doing your vocational call? And so here's a little quick snippet of how that interview went. Uh, Cheryl, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, Cheryl, your vocational call is a Miami-Dade County police officer. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, that's you- right. You are a first uh, responder. So let me ask you, how, how have you been able to prepare to face the fear of this current situation as a police officer? I think for us, it's, it's less daunting because there's a foundation of preparation already. There are certain protocols that we already have in place for communicable diseases to protect ourselves. So this is just maybe an added layer to something that we're already doing. Um, it is a calling. It is a conversation that I had with God a long time ago, the fear. It doesn't mean that it's never there. It's just that we train and we prepare for it. We have a saying that says you will sink to the level of your training to remind us to always train and to always be prepared for the unknown. So I think for us, it's a little less of a change than it might be for maybe healthcare professionals that didn't get into it for the same reasons that we did. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Ron, let, let me ask you the same question. Ron, your, your vocational call is that of a firefighter from Miami-Dade County. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You are also a first responder. And uh, last month you were sent home because you felt sick and thankfully tested negative uh, for COVID-19. You have a family, three kids, I love them. Um, how, how have you been able to prepare the face, uh, uh, this fear of this current pandemic as a firefighter? Sure. I mean, uh, like Cheryl, uh, there is a set of protocols, a set, a set of policies that we follow, but none of that, um, you know, ignores the fact that there is a natural fear uh, that comes into play anytime we come in contact with someone. Uh, for us, a little bit different for Cheryl in that, that there's a little bit of a criminal component for us is typically we respond for someone being sick. Um, through that, uh, there has been a multitude of times where I've been on scene and, you know, uh, encounter someone that actually has this virus, uh, it changes a bit. And uh, you start wondering, you start contemplating, how do I respond if I do get this virus? Or how do I respond that, you know, this could very well happen to me at some point? Um, And the fear is there. Uh, However, through 
employer. Uh, they've prepared us. They've uh, done everything in their part to protect us from, um, from a, you know, a contact standpoint, uh, meaning with a patient. Um, but in a, it's, it, in a lot of cases, it, it's, it's inevitable. And um, the fear is always going to be there. But uh, um, like Cheryl, you know, I've, I took this job and I knew the, the dangers behind it. And, um, you know, it was a lot of conversations with God. And lately, as you mentioned, uh, being quarantined for a number of days uh, with the fear that, you know, feeling some of the symptoms, um, there was a lot of conversation with the Lord uh, through that. And uh, but thankfully, everything was um, negative. Uh, but uh, I just think that as you go into discussing the story of David, God prepared him. And in our case, as first responders, we are prepared, we've been trained, and we have to act even through the fear. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for sharing. Mark, uh, you've been extremely catalytic in helping the church respond proactively and productively. You've been providentially the main reason we've been able to turn Crossbridge into a food distribution center. And, and now our Brickle family is distributing food as well as, as, uh, because of your help. And, and although you're not a first responder, you've been doing a great public work and behaving as if you were. And so in the process, you've been furloughed. Uh, you, you shared with me a couple of weeks ago from your company, but you're still serving, which I think is pretty courageous. And so uh, let me ask you the same question. How, how have you been able to prepare the face, the fear of this crisis of someone who, uh, who's lost their job? Well, I mean, um, unlike you know, the other response is I, there, I didn't go to a training class and I didn't have, you know, a, an academy of training for when you do get furloughed from your job. It's just, it's part of life. But, you know, looking back on life and um, the preparedness, things you go through to prepare for life. Um, and there's what we try to do. And then there's what God prepares us for. So um, I feel looking back at this experience, how, you know, being with a company now 20 years and finding that, you know, I may have a job in a few months, I may not. Um, how do you prepare for that in life? Well, you know, looking back, you see where things came up in your life where, where God put you in positions and, and brought wisdom to you on how to prepare for life. And I see that in, you know, how, you know, I didn't face a lion or a bear like David, but I faced a uh, very critically ill daughter. And how did I have to deal with that and, and make sure my life was prepared to deal with that and having a business that failed, how, how to deal with that, which is very similar. And God put you through those things. And so you, just, you make those decisions and, you know, take on those responsibilities so that when something like this happens, do you like it? No. Is there, is it a challenge? Absolutely is. But at the same time, you're prepared for it mentally and, you know, hopefully, Physically and, and financially, those things, you know, God's helped you to prepare for those too. Not that everybody has that in place, but if you think about it that way, and at the end of it, it's, it's God's purpose. And if you take it in that position that this is the will of God, that all things will work out the way he wants them to. And it's our job just to step in and follow what he's asking you to do at the time. So... I might not be at my job, but I've taken up other things to try to get food to people that are much worse off than I am. So in that sense, life in general, and specifically 
the things God puts us through through our lives, those challenges and trials are what prepares for these types of scenarios and give us the courage and faith in him to trust him to get us through this. God, I love, I love it when Cheryl said in that interview, she said something, she said, you will sink to the level of your training and to always be prepared for the unknown. Uh, Elder Mark, as you saw in the interview, would text me later and would say, you know, I, I just, it was reminding me of the story of Noah and the flood and how we always need to be building our ark, always be, need to be preparing uh, for the flood. And so how do we prepare? How do we prepare to combat fear as Christians? And so church, if you have your Bible, if you're turning with me to 1 Samuel 17, today I'll be reading from verse 32 to 40. This is what God's word says to us today. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not even able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took a staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, on the surface, it looked like everybody lacked courage. I mean, some scholars say this guy, Goliath, was a 10-foot monster in bronze from head to toe. I mean, this guy was, Saul says, he, he's a highly trained, experienced, massacre machine. And so you imagine every guy in the Hebrew camp, camp was looking at this guy, and they saw, they saw Goliath. They said, yeah, we're outmatched, we're outclassed. And if we go out there to fight this guy, it's, it's suicide. It reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings, uh, the movie, where they do the flashback and Sauron yeah. just straight up murdering like 20 <laughs> guys with one strike of the sword, right? That's Goliath right here. And so although Israel knew their history, they knew their stories, they knew how God was able to overcome one giant adversary you know, over another. In fact, they saw God do amazing things here. In chapter 14 of this book, uh, they saw Jonathan uh, defeat a Philistine garrison. But despite all of what they knew, despite all their past experiences, at this very moment, they looked at Goliath and they saw him bigger than God. They absolutely saw him bigger than God. And so they were afraid. And they knew that if one of them, if just one of them stepped out against this guy, bird food, <laughs> murder, gone. And so what made David different? Because I'll tell you what, courage is not autonomous. Courage is not uh, uh, this, this thing that we drudge up, right? Courage is based on faith. Whether your faith is in God or faith in something else, courage is a derivative virtue. And so for as Christians, you and I and those listening and watching today as Christians, a lack of courage is always evidence of a lack of faith in a promise of God. 
David stepped out in courage because he believed, as we learned last week, he believed that God had promised him. He had faith in the promise that God would anoint him to be king one day. And so what made David different than everybody else was not because he was this self-confident, independent young man, you know, brave enough to step out and fight for what was right because he was training in the fields. This is not, this is not a Rocky Balboa uh, a story here, right? This is not, David was not self-confident. David was God-confident. David saw God bigger and badder than Goliath. David knew by beating this guy that God would look powerful, that God would look faithful, and not so much his own courage. And so faith in God is what made David courageous. And for some, church, for some of us, uh, we're facing a Goliath. We're facing a giant. And, and the very thought of it, when we look at it, it looks bigger than God. And, it, and all we see is ourselves as weak. All we see is ourselves as inadequate and pathetic. That's all we see. We see this thing. The very thought of facing this giant immobilizes us. The very thought of fighting this thing just completely paralyzes us. It seems impossible. And that's why David is such a helpful example here for us. Because not only does he fuel his courage and his confidence in the promises of God, but he will always do that. He will, all you got to do is read the first 25 Psalms and how he constantly battled fear, how he constantly battled unbelief. So faith in God is how David drew his courage. It's what made him courageous. And if that's true, which it is, here's a question. Church, here's a question for us. Where are you drawing your courage? What's the source of your courage? Because I'll tell you what, David has absolutely no experience in shields, in spears, in swords, in armor. Saul tells him, little boy, <laughs> put on my armor, please. And he's like, nah, nah, this doesn't fit me right. You know, and listen, if I couldn't wear the uniform of a, of a police officer or a firefighter, all those uniforms are, are designed to, to, to face or battle a fear with different strategies that I'm unfamiliar with. I don't know how to be a firefighter or a cop. David's not schooled here in, in, in armies or archery. And the only reason he's here, by the way, humanly speaking, right, is only because his father sends him out to take him some, uh, his brother some sandwiches, <laughs> gyro sandwiches, I don't know, just some sandwiches out there to eat. He pulls up to this scene, he, he, he sees this big humanoid talking smack about God, and he gets hot. He gets absolutely, have you ever been brangry? Brangry, a little bit of brave, a little bit angry. Have you ever been brangry? <laughs> Because I'll tell you what happens in the scene. David completely jumps off his bicycle. He goes out into the field, and he, and he says this, if nobody else is going to fight this guy, I'm going to fight him. I may not know swords, shields, spears, but I'll tell you what I do know, Goliath. I know two things. God has always given me victory in the past, and the second thing I know, Goliath, is God doesn't change. Man, God's presence, David was so aware of God's presence, more so than the presence or absence of anybody else. And so he goes out there in the field. He takes what he's most familiar with. He takes right here, it says it in the text, what he's most familiar with, right? Uh, uh, he takes these things that has worked for him in the past. He takes a staff. He takes a sling. He takes some stones and a sovereign God. And just as he protected the sheep from the attacks of lions and bears, right here he is going to protect Israel from Goliath. And so when we face these giants, when we face these absolutely enormous church, when we face these giants, here's a question to ask yourself every time we face them. 
What's my motive for wanting this giant defeated? Why do I want this giant gone? Why, why do I want this pandemic to end? It's a pretty, you know, pretty enormous thing we're going through. Why do I want it to end? Is it an easier life? Is it bragging rights? Because, you know, my conspiracy video was right all along. I mean, I, is it power in the eyes of other people? Is it an easier? I don't know what it is. Or is our motivation to defeat these giants to magnify the Lord? Because I'll tell you what, notice something, David never shares this story with anybody, this story that we see here about uh, 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 lions and tigers and bears, until it was prompted by a desire to magnify God. Not money, not power, not fame. David had crazy, courageous faith in God in the valley because God had already proven himself to be dependable in the fields. David was a, was, a, was a man after God's own heart because he loved to magnify God. He absolutely loved to magnify God, and he knew that God took pleasure in him because of that. So, so here's what this story is about. Here's what it's not about, right? It's not about what great things we can do in the power of the Lord, and that's awesome, and that's amazing when that happens. This story, what it's about, it's about God, or the, rather the great things that God's champion will do in our place. Because here's who we are in the story. We're everybody else. We're sheltered in place. We're absolutely terrified. We're, we're hiding behind the battle lines because we can do nothing to fix our situation. Isn't that a timely word? It's absolutely where we find ourselves today. This is what our communities are facing. That, Like David's, we're being confronted with giants that need to be gone. They need to be eliminated. They need to be destroyed. But how do we do this? As believers, listen to what the apostle says here in Ephesians, the apostle Paul. He says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. In other words, when we face our giants and go to war with them, which we have to, right? The only weapon that we're ever going to need is the finished work of Jesus Jesus slays, right? We pray, Jesus slays. We don't kill our giants, Jesus kills our giants. And the more we learn or to, to rely on this divine champion, right? Or until we learn to rely on this divine champion, we'll always be defeated. And so in summary, I'll close with two lessons right here. Whenever we prepare ourselves to face uh, other giants, whenever we prepare to combat our fears, right? Number one, church, listen. Number one, always step out in courage with the faith in God's promises, and secondly, let your motivation always be, when we step out in courage, let your motive always be, especially when we're brangry, right? Let our motivation always be to magnify the Lord. Man, I love that, Sam, the motivation to be to magnify the Lord. That's, that's convicting because it's not always our motivation, right. you know, and I had the privilege to interview uh, three three friends of mine that I have seen in their life the way that they have handled this pandemic. Uh, one of them as a frontline uh, healthcare worker. One of them as someone who tested positive for COVID nineteen and battled the virus, and then also wow. someone who has been furloughed uh, from her job. And how they've taken this opportunity to magnify God in their life and in their circumstances. And so I want to I want to share that interview with you, church. So check it out. Well, thank you guys for jumping on. So glad that you have made the time to uh, talk about courage. You know, I asked each of you on here because you have uh, been serving as an example of courage in this pandemic. And I know each of you, and I know that you may not feel like the best example because there are good days and there are bad days. But 
I myself have seen courage in you and I know others have seen it as well. And so I really believe that our church and all those watching would really uh, be encouraged to hear how you're facing uh, the giants and the trials in your life uh, with courage. And so before we actually jump into the one question I'm gonna ask you, I'd like to ask you just to briefly introduce yourself. And uh, so Simone, would you mind uh, starting for us? Sure, sure. Hello everybody, I'm Simone Correa. And as you can tell by my accent, I'm Brazilian. I attend Crossbridge Kibiscane alongside my husband Jay, that is the worship pastor there. And um, I help Sundays like um, producing the services some, and I am a certified uh, personal trainer. So there, now you know a little bit more about me. Hi, hi everyone, uh, I'm Toby Ubu. Um, I've been attending Crossbridge and helping out um, at Brickle for the last two years since I moved here from up north. Um, and I moved here two years ago to start my uh, career as a doctor um, who takes care of children and adults here in Miami at Jackson Memorial. Hi everyone, I'm Tilki Fernandez and I was a member at Brickell for two and a half years while I lived in Miami and last year I moved to New York City and now attend Redeemer Downtown. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. So I have one question, just one question for each of you, uh, but you're both going to have a, you're all each going to have a different perspective on it. And that is, how have you been able to conquer uh, the giants of fear and uncertainty uh, for you, Toby, as a frontline healthcare worker. Uh, Simone, for you as somebody who tested positive for COVID-19 and battled the virus. And then for you, Toby, as somebody who has been furloughed uh, from your new job uh, in a new city. And so, um, Simone, would you mind starting us off and, and just sharing how you've battled the giants of fear and uncertainty? Sure, sure. Um, I, I must tell you, that um, I didn't fear for my life. Um, don't, don't take me wrong, I don't wanna die. I didn't wanna die. Um, I, I love my family, if you know me, you know how much I love my family. I would do anything to keep my family together. But I think the hope in Christ um, gave me that peace. But with that said, I couldn't help to think about the many of the lives lost for this virus, you know? And, and how many of those people that died knew God? How many of those people had the hope in Christ, in salvation, that they will be fine? Of course, they, we, we suffer, we cry, we have pain, we hurt, but then we have the hope. So, even talking about that now is still something in me that, yes, I want to I wanna be bold when I talk about Christ. I want to get out of there and talk about Christ. I, wanna, I, want, I don't want to miss opportunities to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. So thank you so much, Carter, for inviting me and let me start right now talking about that hope. I love that. It's such a fresh perspective, Simone, that, uh, you know, this, this crisis and the virus uh, affecting you has caused you to actually think about other people 
uh, and to be courageous and bold in your faith. Uh, that's, that's really encouraging. Thank you. Uh, Toby, would you mind sharing um, your perspective on that question? Thanks, Carter. So my perspective on the question is interesting, right? I think what gives me courage is understanding that God is bigger than coronavirus. He's been around longer than coronavirus, and he'll continue to be around when coronavirus is gone. And God has placed us exactly where he wants us, and that gives me confidence. Um, I mean, it's scary. We all know this, right? We're all trying to avoid coronavirus, right? And I find myself in a place where I'm in the, ver in the very hospitals where I am 100% guaranteed to come in contact with the virus that we're trying to avoid. It's scary, right? It's scary because it's scary for us. It's scary for the patients because coronavirus isn't just a thing that's floating. It affects actual people who are scared too, um, like Shimoni was, was, was sharing. And so I remember times in the hospital when um, I had one of my supervising doctors and we had a patient who was in the COVID unit. When you walk to the, through the stairwell, you see this big bullet sticker entering the COVID unit. And it makes you feel worried. You walk in, you see nurses in these blue bunny suits, um, and you know for a fact that patients in these rooms have the virus. You're not going to avoid it. And so at one time, I pretending didn't really want to enter the room, but eventually he did. And then later in the day, the attending is gone and something happens with a patient and I was battling, do I go in, do I not go in? And I decided to go in, even though in this, even healthcare workers were really concerned and argue amongst themselves about who's going to go into the room of this COVID patient. I decided to go in, I examined the patient, the patient ended up being fine. And right when this patient is about to leave the hospital, he says, you know, Dr. Ubu, when I was there, you were the only person who came into the room and examined me and saw how I was doing. Um, the only way you can do it is not, doesn't look fancy. It's just, you know, that you're doing where, what God wants you to do, where he wants you to be, your light in the darkness because he's in you and you can have confidence that God's in control and he's going to take care of you and take care of your patients. And that's kind of what gives me courage. That's so good, Toby. Thank you for that. Wow. Uh, Toby, would you mind closing us out? Yeah. Um, so happy to be here with you guys. Um, before I left Miami last year, God graciously set me free from New York and the job here being an idol. Um, so I truly am enjoying both. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that his promise of never leaving me is true and that his purpose for my life and for your life uh, is always for the good of other people and for renewal and change of my own heart. Um, so as much as I do love the job here and, and being here, <laughs> um, that reality could change and um, God gives and he takes away, but that's what he does, who he is um, and who I am in Christ does not change. Um, First Peter reminds us that um, the inheritance we have is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading. And it's pretty clear that everything around us is fading fast. 
Um, so right there is my living hope. And um, Jesus is, he's my fierce shepherd. Um, and he fought with his last breath for my deliverance. And his courage gives me courage. Um, so my heart can be rooted and established in him forever. Um, and I can build my life upon that cornerstone. Um, it's, it's either either the cornerstone falls on me or I fall on him. It's, it's really that simple. Uh, so encouraging. Thank you, Tilki. Um, man, I'm so, I'm so grateful to spend this time to interview you guys. And I know I speak not only for myself, but for everybody watching that uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing and for being vulnerable and uh, jumping on this call. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you soon all in person as we, we, we long for that day. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, grateful, really grateful. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye, everyone. We love you. See ya. <laughs> Man, that's so encouraging. So encouraging to hear the way that God is using people's lives uh, to magnify himself and the way that they are displaying courage in the midst of this pandemic. And, and one of the things that I see in each of them that I see in this passage is that when you really know and believe in God's purpose, you can face your giants with courage because purpose conquers giants. Faith in God's purpose for your life enables you and strengthens you to conquer the giants in your life. You see, as David takes off the armor, as you shared, and, and begins to make his way towards Goliath, all he has in his hand is a shepherd's staff and the five smooth stones and a sling. And he begins to approach Goliath, and Goliath looks at him, and he's so confused. He's expecting a massive warrior in, in chainmail armor with swords and javelins just like him, and he sees this little shepherd boy, and he begins to taunt him. He says, who are you that you come to me with sticks? Am I a dog? His question is like, hey, hey David, um, are, we paying, are we playing fetch here? And then he shouts out this intimidating statement over David as he's making his way towards him through the valley. He says, I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David is not phased. He keeps marching forward. He keeps advancing. In fact, he responds to Goliath and he says, I don't come to you with a sword and a javelin and a spear, these common elements of warfare like you have. I come to you with something far superior, something far more powerful. I come to you in the name of another. I come to you in the name of the Lord. You see, we don't fight our battles and we don't fight and face off against our giants in our own strength. We come in the name of another. And it's so easy to want to, to cling to the common elements of warfare. It's so easy to want to begin to face our giants with these common things. We want to face off against the giants of fear and uncertainty. And so we, we begin to say, I got to start practicing positivity. I got to start practicing gratefulness. I got to start visualizing success. I need to be asking advice from other people. But these common elements will only take us so far. We want to face off against the giants of sin and brokenness in our life. And so we begin to create accountability measures. We put in restrictions. We have lifestyle changes. But these things will only take us so far. We have giants in our life of anxiety and past trauma and relational issues. 
and anger. And if we try to fight these giants in our own strength, with these common elements of warfare, it will only take us so far. We are not to fight in our own strength. We're to fight in the name of another. It's the Lord. As David reveals to us, we don't fight in an inferior power. We have the all-powerful God on our side to fight alongside of us. And the good news, church, is this. And I want you to hear this. The good news is that it is God's purpose for you to conquer your giants. It is God's purpose for you to conquer your giants. Isn't that a good truth that God desires for you to conquer your giants? In fact, it will happen. David looks at Goliath as he's making his way towards him, and Goliath is taunting him. And David, after saying that he comes in the name of the Lord, he says this, I will strike you down, I will defeat you, and it will be because the battle is the Lord's. The Lord is with me. The battle is his. I'm going to strike you down. He knows God's purpose is for him to conquer Goliath. And he is able to bring about courage to face off because he knows what is going to take place. I want to share with you a passage from Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You see, the battle is the Lord's, and God's purpose is for you to conquer your giants. He is not done with you, not even close. None of us are anywhere close to who we will be and who God desires to bring us into and form us into. God is continuing to write our story, and here's the good truth. It's a story of victory. In fact, 2 Peter tells us that God's divine power has been given to us so that we have everything we need to fight. We have everything we need to fight because we have God's divine power with us. And so we don't fight in our own strength. We fight in the name of another. And God's promise to us is that his purpose is for us to conquer our giants. That's why Ephesians says this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong not in yourself and in these common elements of warfare and how everybody else battles their giants, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power that has been supplied to you, knowing that his purpose is for you to conquer your giants. And so David marches forward, knowing that it is God's purpose for him to conquer Goliath, this giant. And as he's pressing forward, notice He's, in fact, picking up speed. He's running towards Goliath. As you said, he's hot. He's worked up. I mean, he, he's not going to take this anymore. He's ready to go fight. It's brain green. And he gets, to, he gets to Goliath, and he begins to wind up the sling. He runs straight at him. There's a great lesson there, and that is that we're to run towards our giants. Mm -hmm. You see, we, we tend to hide from them. We're a lot like Israel. We hide on the side of the valley. We see the giants tormenting us and taunting us. And we just think, well, let's just ignore it. Let's just pretend like it's not there. And maybe somehow it'll just go away. It's not going to go away. It's going to continue to taunt and continue to torment. But we want to act like everything's okay. We just hope that it'll somehow pass us by. And so we run away from our giants, not towards them. And we also hide from them. 
and we hide them from other people. We don't want other people to see the giants that we're facing in our life. So we hide them away. We pretend like we're okay. We're strong. We're hopeful. Everything's good. In fact, we even hide them from God as if God doesn't know our giants, as if God doesn't know what we're facing. We hide them. And yet David presses on and he presses forward running to Goliath because he knows he's been prepared for this. He trusts in the promises of God. He desires to magnify the Lord. He knows that he's going to conquer Goliath because it is God's purpose and he fights in the name of the Lord. And here's what's so interesting about this passage. David is not the underdog. This is the famous underdog story, right? We, we talk about it in our culture. It's a David and Goliath story. Like we always use that illustration when the underdog prevails over the one that everyone assumes is going to win. Now, everybody there, I think, watching that battle thought, we're about to see this young shepherd boy killed. <laughs> but David knew he was going to win, not only because he believed in God's purpose and he knew that fighting in the name of the Lord was a far superior power, but that he was skilled in this. You see, he's a slinger. He shared before, as you said, Sam, that he's killed lions and bears. Like, that's not a small thing. He's killed lions and bears with this sling. And so he is every bit confident that he is going to take down Goliath. And he begins to wind up this sling. Now, slingers during this time were actually a part of the military. They would sling projectiles and stones and they were able to sling the rock so fast that it was significantly faster in terms of velocity of the most powerful pitcher in baseball throwing a baseball. It's wow. how fast they could sling it. Like a bullet. Yeah. And they would also sling it with such accuracy that they were capable of knocking birds out of flight. So accurate with this high velocity. And here's what's interesting. The Valley of Allah, those smooth stones, have a density that is equivalent to a 45-millimeter bullet. Hmm. They have a stopping power of a 45-millimeter bullet. So we, we like to imagine David there, like, putting a stone in a sling, like a little kid's slingshot kind of thing, closing his eyes and hoping that it's going to hit Goliath. No, he knew what was going to take place, that a bullet beats a sword every single time. And he winds up, and he flings that stone, that 45-millimeter <laughs> bullet, and hits Goliath right between the eyes and kills him. And then he takes that common element of war, that sword, and he cuts off <laughs> Goliath's head with it. He wasn't phased at all. He knew that he had been prepared for this, and he knew that God was with him, and God's purpose was for him to conquer this giant. He's not shocked at all. And see, church, we're called to take courage. We're called to take courage when we fight against the giants in our life because we've been prepared to fight against them because God is with us. And it is, in fact, his purpose for you to conquer the giants in your life. And we're to run towards them, not away from them. And we run towards them in the same way that David does. We pick up a stone. We pick up the cornerstone that is Christ. We've run with the finished work of Christ, as you said, Sam, towards our giants, not away, not full of fear. We don't need to cower. We don't need to hide. We run towards them, courageous, because we have the cornerstone who is Christ with us, the one who supplies all things, the one who upholds all things, the one who, when he is anchored first in your life, will support everything else. So we don't run away. 
We run towards our giants with Christ, our cornerstone. We carry the cornerstone, which brings us courage. I want you to hear what Jesus says to you. And I pray that this would be a deep source of encouragement as you face those giants in your life. Jesus looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, you are more than a conqueror through me who has loved you. Carry the cornerstone of Christ towards your giants with courage because it's God's purpose for you to conquer them. Amen. Thank you, Carter. What an amazing word.